welcome to the See You Next Summer podcast. I'm Ra Rodriguez, and here's with me my the joy to my K or the love to my Wallace. I was gonna say the Deckard to your K. No, that too. But I will be the love. You will be the Wallace, though. <laughs> Billy Pollyhead. No, I, I would be the joy because I bring joy everywhere I go. But um, <laughs> what's up, guys? We're finally at the end of another month. And you know what? I was pleasantly surprised in certain regards. And we're going to end this month with what I consider to be a perfect sequel. Yes. Um, a movie. Whew. Even I, that didn't was not attached to this franchise a lot, though. Blade Runner 2049. Yes, the sequel to the uh, Ridley Scott classic. Blade Runner from... 1982? 1982, yeah. That has like 20 cuts. <laughs> yep. I'm trying to remember when uh, it came out, because it came out on a pretty important weekend. Didn't, wasn't the same weekend as Poltergeist and something else? Uh, okay, here it is. The film was released close to other major sci-fi and fantasy releases, releases, which were The Thing, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Conan the, Barbaria, uh, the Barbarian, and E.T. You can imagine which one did the best out of all of them. But wasn't Poltergeist also released also at the same time? Poltergeist was also released. But it was it was a crazy, crazy weekend in 1982. Damn. Imagine having all of those options at the multiplex. And almost nobody saw the original. But I think Blade Runner got that thing of like... The, because it generated like, like a big ass cult following for like 20 years. Oh, a big critical acclaim. Um, f- f- but when it first came out, because the theatrical cut is different from the director's cut, um, the theatrical cut is terrible because of the narration. But then the Ridley Scott kept making director's cuts and stuff, and they just kept getting reevaluated. And it sort of just had the Tron effect where everybody just heard about it and just sort of gathered a following. Sort of like It's a Wonderful Life, where when it first came out, it did not make any money. And most people didn't hear about it. But through like video release and through uh, after some time had passed, it just sort of became a critical hit. And not only that, because it was also the inspiration for a lot of movies and TV shows. Especially because I know that the book was the inspiration not only for Blade Runner, that it also was the inspiration for Terminator, and there's some of the Matrix too. I heard that that, that was the inspiration for that book as well. What was it called? Okay, the the author Philip yes. K. Dick is considered the the greatest sci-fi writer mm-hmm. of all time, and well, based on the book is it's a very loose adaptation. It's called Do An- Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Thank you. I was like, I know it's electric sheep, so I was like, I don't remember the full title. No, it's it's loosely based on that. And Philip K. Dick didn't really live long enough to actually see the film. He was alive during pre-production, so he thought it was cool there, but he never actually got to see the film. He died pretty young. It was a very interesting life. But I never thought they would do a sequel to it, because it sort of had an open-ended, ambiguous ending. Mm-hmm. Which was the whole thing was the the main character Deckard uh, is he a replicant? Which we'll explain what replicants are. But mm-hmm. 
it was that whole you don't know it's it's up to your own interpretation yes you know and this film builds upon a lot of themes yes and also continues that mystery of the first one as well and i'm gonna say this about the sequel i didn't knew shit about blade runner until the week of 2049 came out i remember that i bought a ticket it was like three days before seeing 2049 and they was like to see the first one like to see it on the big screen i'm like you know what i'm gonna see the first one just to know the final cut yeah it was the final cut but then i was at the grove and they're like oh something got wrong with the print we're we're gonna give you a free ticket for another movie and i'm like god damn it so the next day before i saw 2049 i just rented um voodoo seeing the, the first one it's an okay movie for me the first one i understood what it was saying but i'm like for me the movie was like a little boring the first one and but i do like the the ideas about like the how the replicants think and how they want to be more independent and the thing about like the concept between you know, like being hunted or not that it still continues in this sequel in this sequel it's like the nibble and i was like i'm gonna just make it bigger and i noticed that was like the critique in this one too as well Many people see this better than the original. Some people think that this movie is like, is technically doing the same, but bigger. But a lot of people, this movie is really divisive. I noticed, I, I there were, remember when it came out, a lot of people hated this one too. People loved it. Yeah, nobody saw this one either. Because they also just didn't know how to market it. That movie, I remember I went to that Comic-Con. There was so many stuff to promote the movie, like free bags, posters, the Johnny Walker blue thing that it was like an activity outside of Comic-Con. There was so many things to promote the movie, and the movie did not make any money. I, I think, didn't the movie cost almost like $180 million or something? Yep, it didn't even make $300 million, so yeah. I saw this movie in a Dublin cinema, uh, Century City, and it was not that full. And it was an opening weekend, but I still really like the movie. But also, I do have a maybe not that some small complaints though. This movie has has really interesting pacing stuff, but then it also goes really slow sometimes, and then it goes really well, and then it goes a little fast, but then it goes back and down, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, I noticed that as well. But yes, this was released. We're not here to talk about the original Blade Runner. If we do. We'll either do that for Ridley Scott or sorry, Sir Ridley Scott or Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not going to happen for a while. So until that does, we're going to talk about the sequel, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, apparently there will be a sequel series, uh, Blade Runner 2099. It's in development at Amazon with Scott to return as executive producer, which is. And wasn't eh. wasn't there also like a short like a short anime series on Adult Swim a few years ago too. Might have been. I don't know. But the whole the whole Blade Runner quote unquote franchise is very complicated. It's a complicated mess. But here we are. So this is also the first time we're gonna be talking about a lot of like really good names. Really big names, really one name in particular, which will be our main character. But the story, it's in 2049. It's amazing that this is what the future is going to look like in 26 years. I know, crazy, right? We're going to have flying cars, giant Atari signs, Sony products. I know. Because this is a this is a weird... 
Yeah, this is a weird like it's distributed by Warner Brothers. Sony, Columbia, and Warner Brothers. Uh, and Scott Free Productions, of course. Um, it's just a there's a lot of distributors as well. It's that thing from Family Guy. When is the real movie gonna start? Oh, oh, interesting. Please. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah, they get through it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's 30 years after the events of the first film. Because yes, the first film took place in 2019. I didn't know 2019 was like that. Kind of crazy. Um, and the on-screen text, it just says text, states that the Tyrell Corporation, which was this company that created the replicants, it's collapsed decades before in the wake of violent revolts involving their Nexus 6 through uh, 8 replicants, forcing the company into bankruptcy. And replicants are basically uh, robots. Like the robots from Westworld. Like a, a, like a, a human like copy that. of a human, but it's a robot. But they're so realistic, you can't tell who is a replicant and who uh, isn't unless they do a special test. Or asylum. Or or that. <laughs> and the world's ecosystems collapsed in the mid-2020s, so famine swept the earth, and it killed a lot of people. And this is technically what and, they call in the movie The Blackout. Yes. And then there was this wealthy businessman, uh, Neander Wallace, who created synthetic farming to help essentially save humanity. We'll meet him soon enough. His weird, weird thing. And uh, he acquired Tyrell's remaining assets to form his own corporation. The Wallace Company brought back the replicants, and they produced Nexus 9 replicants. And their new generation, these are just artificial humans. And made them more obedient than the older models. And they have... And their motives is to kill the older models. Yes, they have implanted memories and open-ended lifespans as well. Because that was the whole thing with replicants in the original. They only had a certain amount of time before they uh, crapped out. So they were trying to figure out how to live longer. Mm -hmm. In this, they basically cracked the code. They're still used for slave labor on off-world stuff which we see later in the movie but some of them are used as blade runners and blade runners are essentially bounty hunters that quote-unquote retire older replicants basically mean it's uh execution if that sounds like a lot it's because it is it is and this is the other thing that i'm i'm kind of like divided to say but i'm like sometimes the movie feels like you didn't need to see the first one but when would you get to the but there's some parts I was like, should have I seen the first one? But I still I, I understand most of the plot though. Like I haven't seen the first one in like seven years. And I still got most of this movie on the rewatch again. So how do you feel though? I think it helps if you do watch the original, but you, I agree that you can watch it without having seen the original one. It it just helps if you do. But what does uh matter is the film itself and so we got k not agent k from men in black that would be a completely different movie oh boy if that was tommy lee jones instead (laughs) that'd be pretty weird but our main character played by one of the most famous actors ever ryan gosling Mm -hmm. who i am surprised we have never talked about on the show until now we had never done drive or the notebook or la la land or the or la la land the place beyond the pines he is one of those he's one of those critically acclaimed actors and for me he has never put in a bad performance no Mm -hmm. 
No, he's always been great. He can do drama. He can do comedy with like the nice guys. Mm-hmm. That is an underrated gem. Mm-hmm. And he's he's been good in pretty much everything that he's been in. And he is looks remarkably similar to Harrison Ford's Deckard from the original. Maybe that was on purpose. Wink. <laughs> yeah, but then we see him. I forgot at this cool frame when he gets out of the car and he's with his coat and the way that he see just half of his face and with the smoke. And I'm like, that's a good frame. That's a good shot right there. We see him walking in to a house and we see Dave Batista. This is before Knock at the Cabin. And this is like between Goddess and the Galaxy, Castillo, Batista. I think this is the first time we're talking about Batista this as well. This is the first time, yes. We have never done not even a Guardians movie yet. So this is the time when... And we're not going we're to. Not gonna, uh, this is the time when Batista started to do like more serious roles. And this was his first one. Yeah, and I love his tiny glasses. But there is a reason why he has them. I never really thought about it. It's, it's so he can mm-hmm. pass the replicant test. The thing from the eye, because that's a detail from the original as well. And so I I love that he he goes in and we see that Dave Batista is like a farmer, but he's a protein farmer, not a specific kind of like plant farmer, because this is also too like to the thing that we saw in the text that Wallace is the one that saved humanity by by his farming. And so it was like, a, and then Sapper, that's the name of Batista. It was like he has been there in that house since 2020 exactly around the blackout because we know the blackout was in 2020 but a little poetic that there was a blackout in real humanity in 2020 just not the way that we thought it would be the way they thought maybe the need predicted it though essentially um it's it was a bunch of replicants that revolted but they obviously lost and this is one of those uh older replicants and he's just trying to live his life but k just comes in doesn't say a word just sits down and uh, batista he doesn't react at all he's sort of like you know i knew this day was coming mm-hmm. also i love that he still keeps chilling and cooking and i love when he says how does it feel hunting your own kind is you older models that they don't want to obey it's because you had never seen a miracle very important it's very important yes and uh, and we see that they keep fighting and then at the end k I love also they did that thing of like going through the walls as they were fighting because we know in context that the replicants are way stronger. Yeah, so that's why it took multiple times for uh, K to go through the wall as well. But I mean, they bleed and they can get hurt and everything like humans. So that's the whole theme of the movie is artificiality and humanity and what does it mean to be human? You know, how... um, these replic that's the whole thing with the replicants are they actually real quote unquote or they have a soul that's the big thing do they have a soul even though they're artificial and that's just classic sci-fi questions that's what you know what the electric will be able to have dreams if they can dream does that mean that they can yeah like do they have a soul i also i realize that as we also see that he kills uh, batista and he gets his eyeball. And I love that he has to keep it in a Silla bag. And he put it on his scanner. And this is when we go into... He goes back to LA. And we know the the boss, Madam. I forgot the name of the actress, though. Oh, Robin Wright. 
Thank you, Robin Wright. And then she and I love that they also I think pretty sure also this happened in the original too. Oh, how oh, Americans you forgot can... about one very important thing mm-hmm. about oh, scanning the, the area. Yeah, the scanning the area because they he noticed on the tree there was a, a kind of like a coffin, kind of like a box buried underneath with remains. Whose remains are they? Well, we're gonna find out, and that's when we get the whole thing. Is it's got this ambiance to it, and everything feels so huge. You hate to hear this expression, but every frame in this movie could be a painting. See it in the best quality that you can. This is one of those movies that I regret not seeing in the movie theater. I cannot imagine what it was like for both Blade Runners. Like, they were made for movie theaters. Like, the biggest IMAX, Dolby, whatever. Best quality. Yeah, this is a movie to see in the theater. Even when I was watching it right now in in my TV, and I'm like, damn it. This is a theater movie. Like, you can notice the scope. And this is the other thing of, like, we had talked about the knee. He can do atmosphere so big, but we're focusing on the characters, though. And that's very hard to do in a blockbuster because in a blockbuster, we always like to focus on special effects. But sometimes we don't give a crap about characters. And it's the latest, last critique. That's the critique that a lot of people are criticizing about the Marvel MCU of a lot of big blockbusters right now. That Or recent Marvel Universe movies. Because they used to find a good balance between character and big special effects, but then now it feels like they're leaning more towards, you know, we don't have to try anymore. Uh, the arrogance of man. And we know that Madam, uh, Robin Wright, she's like, a, oh, can you please tell me more what happened? I was like, well, we need to find out what is in this box. And also, I was like, uh, but also she's kind of like always like testing him every time that they interact because she, because, because we know immediately that Kay is a replicant. So that's the twist comparing to the original. Now the focus into is a replicant that is hunting other replicants. Yeah, the whole thing in the original movie was you didn't know if Deckard, Rick Deckard was a replicant or not. Mm-hmm. There were some things that suggested that he was, sometimes they wouldn't, and everybody would ask Ridley Scott over the years, is he a replicant? And he would be very coy about it. I still think he's a replicant, though. And so, and then the movie, and then we go into Kay's apartment, and this is where we get the introduction of Joy. Anna de Armas. The first time we ever talk about Anna de Armas on this show. And it's not Knives Out. One of the most beautiful women on this planet. God, thank God for Cubans. Let's just say that. <laughs> but no, she's great. Because she has to... Uh, she is a hologram, essentially. And this is the other complicated stuff that I for totally forgot about this movie. Is a robot having a love interest with a projection. That that's another way of thinking it's a ro- love between robots. And that's an interesting like layer to it. And the whole thing between those two is is it real? Because they're not technically human or have a soul or anything, but they have human experiences. But even though Kay has the upper hand because he has the human body. And so enjoy is just nothing. She's technically a software. Is that like you will say that like in like, technically Joy- She's Karen from SpongeBob. I was gonna say that. 
Or Giffany. Well, thank God she didn't end up like Giffany from Gravity Falls. That that will be for, uh, that will have been a completely different movie though. Uh, she destroying L.A. That will have been a completely different movie though. I mean, to be fair, that's just what L.A. looks like in general. True. It's just bleak, gloomy, and uh, raining sometimes. Sometimes, yes. But I love that you say that about Karen because I love I love when Joy is dressed like in the fifties style that she's putting this beautiful state projection dinner on top of his crappy suit. And I love and I just imagine Plankton is like, oh Meatloaf, my favorite. Really? Holographic meatloaf, my favorite. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Uh, but he goes to Joy and we see she's an AI and um he seems to have a very deep bond with her, but everybody also knows that Kay is a replicant and they're pretty outwardly racist towards him as well. Oh, I forgot about that too. Especially because he's not only the racism because he's a robot. It's not even just um, the other cops. It's just his lieutenant as well. And by the way, Robin Wright's character's name is Joshi. Uh-huh. And also, but he keeps calling her madam. It's also technically also the bullying between from some replicants to him because he's a replicant hunter. He's a Blade Runner. And so is he sort of seen as like a race traitor? Mm-hmm. And also, Which that's a whole new world that we're dealing with here. Yes. And also, um, the other interesting thing that I totally forgot about this is how uh, he gets the emanator. That there's kind of like a little chip thing that Kay can carry around with him when Joy cannot be dependent on the projector. Because in the apartment, the only way that she can be interacted with him is a projector following her. But because of the emanator from Wallace, she technically can be around him, kind of like a like a portable projector. If he need, and I like when Joy, this is a beautiful effect though, like the way that Joy goes into the rain and I house glitches a little because it's like the projection of the light with the with the with the water. Yeah, it's really awesome. And Joy is made by the Wallace Corporation, but uh. He he takes Joy outside for the first time, and it's I love the effect of it going through her pixels and everything, and how she can just go through objects as well, and um, it, through the rain and all this upgrade, she's able to touch things, and she's so happy and appreciative. But Kay's called back and just mid kiss, so I love the fact that they just freeze on a not so sexy face. But she gets done like this. Like mid kiss, and uh, I love that it's like an override as well. It's essentially like if Ultron got into Siri. Also, she got that you feel like she's singing like, ah. <laughs> yeah, they go downtown, and we get the forensics team looking at uh, uh, Hugh with the guy from Prisoners. Yes, David Desmalchin, who he also mm-hmm. would later work with in Dune, and mm-hmm. oh. yeah, yeah, he's. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, the guy, uh, another Ant Man guy, the other cop. Uh, I remember him from Remember the Titans. He's in it as well. And they're like, oh, okay, so this is a human skeleton, but it's a female that had complications during childbirth 30 years. And we see superficial cuts that show an emergency C section as the cause of the death. And Kay, being a replicant, can see things that other people can't. 
he finds a serial number engraved on one of the on the bones. He he technically uses like three hundred X kind of zoom to get it to see the serial He's got number. Superman X ray vision, essentially. Yes. And it shows that this wasn't a human, this was a replicant. Mm-hmm. But that's impo- that's what the big thing is, because now replicants can produce, reproduce. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. And I love how immediately, like, Madam, she's like, oh, no, this cannot be possible. We have to kill the, we have to clean and erase everything about this, because this could bring, and this is the other thing about the movie, is the revolution of the replicants. Another, technically, another blackout. Yeah, and if they, because uh, she knows, if the replicants learn that they can reproduce, then it's, they don't need humans anymore. And this is the thing that we know that replicants there's some, but not that many. No, they are a dying breed. They're essentially getting exterminated. Mm-hmm. And what does end up happening is that she uh, orders everything to be erased. The farm gets burned down and everything. And they need to track down this child and retire it. And... Uh, Kay has mixed feelings about it because it was something that was born and it has a soul. And that was what how he justified. He's just like, can I really kill something that, you know, is alive? And she's just like, well, you're not alive. She's not outwardly racist, but she's also kind of like, like she respects what he does, but it doesn't really treat him as an equal either. Yeah, because it says to be born is to have a soul. You'll be getting fine without one a soul and i'm like ooh, so mean though but she that's the question of the movie though and also you will wonder if this child a comp- another breed of replicant or is he a new version of human talking about evolution are they we don't know the gender either we don't know the gender either and so it's about how, what is this child gonna be and so and then we see this is when we go into this is one of the most interesting settings for me was the pyramid where the 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 files where Wallace is. The beautiful hallways and the way that it looks in that kind of like beautiful kind of like almost fire kind of filter and a little orange and gray. Almost like you're in hell a little bit. Yeah. And also the, the color scheme in this movie when they go to certain places. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. I love also the detail when we first we see the interaction of love and we see that office with the little filters that looks like she's underwater but she's not because the water's on top of her. Huh. Very also interesting. Because, also because we know that this is a pyramid. So we know that that, that water is the the fucking uh, the, the pool for Jared Leto in his scene later in the movie. That's a good catch. That's a good catch. Mm-hmm. The way that they do, uh, they play with shadows is really cool. Wait, so we're saying that Love saw Jared Leto naked so many times? That's why she loves him so much? Maybe. Who knows? Oh, they need you, devil boy. (laughs) This cinematography, again, so good. Once again, Roger Deakins. Deakins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The fact that he didn't win for this movie in particular Mm -hmm. is a crime, sir. A crime. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, they go to this old uh it's an old tyrell pyramid Mm -hmm. although it's much uh is that technically the tyrell pyramid from the first one it is yeah and the clerk gives him there it's like oh 
go through the catalog and stuff. It's like, whoa, this is one that was before the blackout. So this is going to be incredibly hard to find. Um, and the blackout was this EMP event that destroyed almost every digital file um, that the company had. And an EMP is an electromagnetic pulse. And it's if used in the wrong hands, it could be very devastating. But what does happen is it looks like Luckily, there's some data left, and he's helped by Love, played by this actress, Sylvia Hux, and she absolutely steals this show. Oh, she steals the fucking movie. She is incredible. She even makes those weird straight bangs look okay. It's what Gail tried to do in Scream 3, but failed. Mm -hmm. She makes it work. She is so cold, Mm -hmm. and she's really the main antagonist. When you get down yeah, to it. I don't consider Jared Leto technically an antagonist, though. Love is the one that is the main antagonist. Okay, anyway, um, what does happen is they find uh, an old audio log, which is actually audio from the first movie during the replicant test of Rachel and Deckard. Rachel! Uh, yeah, because it turns out um the replicant who he kept the hair as well just to make sure um was rachel and that she went missing 30 years coincidence Kay feels a connection between the two does some research on decker tries to find him and then we get his old cali- uh colleague gaff played by returning actor from the franchise edward james Olmos. who is that's another one um if you're a fan of battlestar galactica you know exactly who that is we said silence. <laughs> so say we all. So say we yeah. all. And uh, we're, we're nerds. Uh, he's I living know. in a retirement home, and he's just like, Deckard and Rachel fell in love, and they eloped. And um, he asked whether he knew Deckard would leave society, and Gaff confirms this. There's something in his eyes that showed him that he was done hunting replicants because he fell in love with them. It's real Romeo and Juliet shit. <laughs> well, isn't that technically also making a, like an assumption of the finale of the original movie? I have never seen the finale, but isn't that like you see uh, Decker and Rachel going uh, going in a car together? Yes, you do in one of the cuts. Yeah, yeah. in one of the cuts. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was there was this unicorn. Oh, the unicorn the thing. origami <laughs> thing where you feel like it's an implanted memory. Or... It's it's a whole thing with the movie involving uh, Decker. Not them, but of course. Not them, you know. That that is the image that, or the object that's mostly associated with, um, Blade Runner is the origami unicorn. Here, it really doesn't have one. And I'm sorry about background noise. My parents talk very loud. Isn't that technically the wooden horse will be like kind of like the origami thing? Yeah, I get, Oh, yeah, that's right. The, the horses are a big thing in this uh, world. The Trojan horse could be the replicant. Forgot about the date as well. Mm-hmm. 621, um, no, was it 61021? 61021. Mm-hmm. It's no 48, 15, 16, 23, 42. But. <laughs> 108 survivors. 108 passengers. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a fan of Lost, you know what we're talking about. And then we get the introduction of Jared Leto in his pool. And he's like, an angel should enter the kingdom of heaven without a gift. A child was born 
Let us see her then. I was like, before we know who we are afraid to lose her. And we see that this is the he's talking to a new replicant that is getting bored. Oh, by the way, he's blind as well, just because. Yes. I was like, did Jared Leto practice to be blind and being a robot to, of his method acting? We don't know. He can sort of see with drones, but yeah, he uh, he seems like sympathetic to this new replicant. But he also just... He has kind of like that God complex because he's the one that also creates the, created a new breed of replicants. Yeah, a little bit. He just carelessly stabs her in the abdomen as well. Just immediately kills her for some reason. Because something was wrong with it. Oh, yes. She couldn't bear children. He's trying to find a way to perfect the replicants and make them human. Mm-hmm. And because it says we make angels in the benefit of civilization. There were some bad ones. I make good angels. We discover new nine planets. I cannot breed them. We need millions, trillions. We could take Eden. Tyrell's final creation was procreation. Break that child to me. And that's the whole thing. He's trying to get replicants to reproduce. Essentially take over humanity. Why? I don't know. Um, and most of it was destroyed in the blackout. And they need to find this child. So now, Rachel's child is the MacGuffin of this movie. That's what everybody's after. And this is my other... Even on, my, on the rewatch on this movie, this is a thing that I'm a little confused. Is Wallace a human or he's just a human with replicant parts? Especially because of the of the because he's blind but he knows his surroundings. That's one of those things that you leave it up to your interpretation. I know, right? It was like, it was like that's a thing that maybe would never get answered. Yeah, just like Lost. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we go through the city and then we see this cloaked woman asks three replicant well, they're prostitutes. Uh, one of them is Mackenzie Davis as well. Um, find out what they know, because as we know... From Terminator, their fate. Uh-huh, yeah. But <laughs> she's actually incredible. And mm-hmm. she, much uh, Littlefinger was onto something in Game of Thrones when, you know, pros- sex is a very seductive thing, and you're vo- it breeds vulnerability. See? And she tries to seduce him as well, but notices he carries love around and says, oh, I guess you're not into real girls and leaves. And that, you know, that gets him to ponder a little bit. But he uh, love enters the police station and then uh, kills David S. Malchin really violently too. just punched like. Yeah punches it feels like she was it was it felt like she was drinking on like a button i think she like on his neck yeah but i think she just punched a certain part of his neck and essentially paralyzed Mm -hmm. him and made him choke on his own blood yep Mm -hmm. it's a very violent way to go too i mean you just even see it anyway Kay returns to the farm and he sees a a baby sock and another woman holding this baby Mm -hmm. by the three implying that the replicants have been protecting the secret for a while, so they know. And that's where we find the date, 6-10-21. Because, as it turns out, um, well, he says that, uh, he, he talks about what he says is an implanted memory, which is going through an old factory by a, getting beat up by a bunch of older kids, 
because they wanted hiding a horse in the furnace in the yes this wooden carving of a horse but he remembers that the horse had a date on it which was the exact date that you just found it's the similar thing with deckard um he kept dreaming about this unicorn but this is before he was given the origami unicorn so you didn't know if he was a replicant or not, because it seems like replicants have implanted memories to make them more, quote unquote, human. Ah, mystery. Yeah, but then we see, and then we know about the, the horse. And then even Joy was like, do you think that maybe because they have the same date, it is a coincidence? And Kay says, if I was him, this child, I'll be hunted for the rest of my life. As he finds out, that in that day, two people were born born that same day, a boy and a girl. The girl died of genetic disorder. The boy disappeared. So now he's starting to question, am I that replicant child? But then the the chief, um, Robin Wright, is just like, you should try to go to the DNA bank to identify the kid. Because as we know, genetics will determine, uh, are, are a good uh, way to trace steps. Assuming that it was a date of birth, but what does happen is that um, the boy... This is when we go into the wasteland, when we go to all of the trash in San Diego. Yeah, he goes to San Diego. There's so much trash. And he comes across a bunch of scavengers, and they live in a massive old ship-breaking yard. They attack him, but Love uses bombs to repel them, essentially clearing the path. Technically saves him. Yeah, but she's following him because she wants to see about this because they're all trying to get Rachel's child. And she's using her really cool Google glasses to launch all of those drones to kill people. Remember when Google lenses was a thing? <laughs> yes, Google Glass. I do remember that. <laughs> and then we, and then he finds out like, uh, this is the other thing that they also left it a little kind of like open that most of the people that were raised here in the trash were a lot of also like a lot of orphans yes and then we get the caretaker if we're going with the orphan metaphor this guy is fagin from oliver twist i was gonna say that mm -hmm. he's played by lenny james who uh walking dead fans know as morgan from the walking dead he's actually english he's british oh cool. yeah because he was in a guy Ritchie movie called snatch that's how i learned he was uh british same with uh, Andrew Lincoln, who was Rick, also also British. There's a, there's a lot of British actors or people that were raised in England in The Walking Dead, surprisingly. But he is clearly using these kids as mm -hmm. cheap labor. And as he as he as Kate tells him about the the date, he goes, I was like, I'm pretty sure that you have to be someone like that. You have every record of every child that has been here before." And I was like, "I'm, I'm I, yes, I have it." And he shows like this big ass like um this big ass book of all of the records of the children but then he noticed that someone still ripped out of the book of all of 2021 all of that year yep as we see him walking through all of this abandoned kind of like garbage junkyard he goes through all of this and this is the other thing that talking about pacing we dedicate like three or four minutes in silence he's just walking through all of the junk and through all of this abandoned place, but then he finds the furnace and he finds the horse. So now he's even thinking even more, am I really this child? Yeah, and all the clues point towards it. And I I love these quiet moments because it really makes you just it takes its time, makes you feel the atmosphere, but mostly the tension. 
because you know anything could happen at any moment. And there's this whole like music drop. You feel like you're being lulled to sleep, like you're in a fantasy or something. It's kind of like a weird mix of dreary and a little fantasy and very sci-fi. It's a really interesting mix. Yes, and you want to know who did the music? Well, one was a man named Benjamin Walsh, Walfish. Yeah, Benjamin Walfish, who is British. But the other one, good old Hans. Hans ah, Zimmer. Uh, classic organ. But if, yeah, but, uh, if you're going to get a movie score, you get Hans Zimmer. And then we see this is in Joy. So it's like, a, now you're a real boy now. You're important now, Kay. I was like, uh, what would be your name? I was like, uh, I'm going to call you Joe. And this is where we met Anna. Anna Stealing. That was in the, how you pronounce that last I think time? so. I love yeah. when he gets back and he just yells. Mm-hmm. And he's so upset. Yeah, because he was like, oh my God, I'm going to be hunted because of this. And then he goes to Anna. And I was like, uh, we see that Anna, she's kind of like a... Not kind of like a prison, but it looks like a room, kind of like a very kind of like kind of like a Vegas bubble, but it's just a lot like a lot of glass. Mm-hmm. We get Doctor Stellan, mm-hmm. who makes memory implants for the uh, Wallace replicants, mm-hmm. and she's just happy to see someone because she's just in this dome. She she has a compromised immune system. That's why it's like a bubble. She's like a mm-hmm. bubble. So boy. I was about to say she's she's bubble girl, bubble woman. She can't be exposed to other people. And her parents left Earth for one of the off-world colonies, but she wasn't allowed to come along because of the disease. So she was basically just stuck there her entire life. And that's why it caused her imagination to be really good and implant memories because she can't experience them herself. And Yeah, because she says, if you have authentic memories, then you will have human qualities. Yes, and Kay asks a very important question, how to distinguish fake memories from real ones. And Dr. Staline says that the fake memories tend to be too detailed, since real memories are messy as they tend to reflect an emotional rather than a photographic recollection. Mm-hmm. But a good fabricated memory always contains something personal of the maker. And Kay asks her to take a look at his memory and give her thoughts. And she can... And we see the damn horse again. Mm-hmm. And she says that the memory is real. And he leaves pissed off, too. But then he gets arrested. Why? Well, how about uh, because he failed his baseline test, which is basically saying, are you doing okay? Yes. Uh, are- Within cells interlink, you know them. Uh, what's the other thing? It's like they pronounce, they pronounce interlink a lot. Essentially, though. it's a it's psych like evaluation a test. For a robot. It's technically, like, the way they understood it, too, is kind of like to prove the robot hasn't gone out of base. Because to make the... Hasn't gone, become a rogue yeah, one. Or a rebel. A Star Wars story. Coming in 2049. Oh Jesus. And she's talking to Madam, and I was like, I found the kid. He was placed like a regular replicant. He didn't know who it was. It's done. As he leaves, then we see Kay going back to his apartment, but then we see Mackenzie Davis arriving. And Joyce, she's like, I call her because I want to be real, Kay, for you. And this is... And then she sort of, like, merges with Mackenzie Davis. Merges. 
But you know what? Why not? Mm-hmm. He needs to get some. He's got uh he, he's about to basically be executed. But um the chief um agrees to suspend him and just gives him two days to disappear. But then when Cave was about to leave, he talks to Joy like a but also Joy says like you had to break this from from the machine because this is how Wallace can track you. And also hack into me. And so he breaks the antenna. And this is when Love gets even extra pissed. Because now she has a less way to track him. Yeah. And essentially it's it's like a cell phone. You just never carry it on you. Um, now that. It's, it's weird. Because it's two replicas. They're all artificial beings. And it was technically a threesome. If you really think about it. It was Yes, it was a threesome between robots. Yeah, yeah but mm-hmm. uh, Joy was the one that essentially puppeteered a Mackenzie Davis. So it's got to be weird, but she's just like, hey, get the hell out of here. And she's just like, dude, stop. Uh, not much is there. Yeah, and then Kay goes to the guy from... It shows also that even they have feelings of superiority, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm better than you. Yeah, and then... Then we- this hologram... Yeah, because I'm more human than you are. Yeah, Mackenzie is just like I'm more human than you. I already know being inside you, and I'm like, ooh. Well, both literally and <laughs> like, ooh. But then Kay goes to the guy. Uh, look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. I've totally forgot that he was in this yes, movie. Yes, yes. The the guy from Captain Phillips is in it. Mm-hmm. And he goes to analyze the horse. And I love that he brings the concept of a 3D printer. He's like, I can give you a real horse. I can print you one right now, technically. He's like, no, I need to find out about where is this horse came from. And then he finds out that there was a, a, a component called tritium, that it was highly radioactive. And we see that K, he tracks a lot of radiation that is seen in Vegas, that is completely abandoned and no one lives there. Oh, is this when he comes to Vegas? Yes, but also... Oh, but before that, um, is this Love goes to the station mm-hmm. and seems initially friendly and able to cooperate with uh, the with Robin Wright. But Robin Wright's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then Love, on a dime, just yells, where is he? And then, ooh, made me cringe when she breaks the glass because like any police captain, she drinks whiskey. Love breaks the glass in her hand. So her hand is bleeding quite profusely. And I love that she says, Love is like, you tiny little thing. Were you afraid of big chains? You cannot hold the tie with a broom. Where is he? Uh, He told you, I'm going to tell Wallace you wanted to shoot me first. And Robert's just like, do what you want to do. And I love that the camera gets out of focus and we only focus on the silence. But we only hear the rain as she... Love does the same thing as Wallace of going to the stomach. Yeah, and kills her. Very specific. Well, it's because though. she saw him do it. Yeah. It's that true. monkey see, monkey do sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is when going to Vegas. Dude, Vegas is this entirely orange. Everything about this, this was his practice for Dune. This is his Cyril. This is his Cyril. All of this was just practice for Dune. From the scale, to the characters, to the mythology. He already had a mythology to build off of. 
too. That seems to be what it is, uh, or where his uh, bread and butter is. Because Dune also had a mythology. He had the book to build off of, and he could shape it however he wanted. But it still maintained the themes of the original source material. And that's something that a lot of directors don't do. Because a lot of them are made by studios that don't give a shit. They just want to make a quick buck. Which, yeah, you're trying to make money anyway. But Denis Villeneuve is one of those guys that really does care about the story that he's trying to tell. He has a very clear goal in mind and yeah everything about the vegas sequence is awesome i want you to describe it because we're about um an hour and a half into this movie we're only now gonna meet deckard this is the other thing that i'm surprised especially because we live in the era of legacy sequels that the legacy character doesn't show up until the third act technically or towards like the middle of the movie He's he's hardly yeah, so, even in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure maybe the Harrison Ford screen time is like what 10, 15 minutes. Like I said, in a two hour forty minutes. Yeah, it's mostly focusing on Ryan Gosling, and I appreciated that. He he sees all the booby traps in the hotel as well. But also love not only like the way that he walks, and we see all of those beautiful statues, like uh, some statues were tilted. The focus on the faces, the pyramids, and the all of the tilted buildings and all destroyed. And the way that Ryan Gosling looks walking in so slowly with his coat, and he looks so little compared to all of the destruction. There's a poem called Ozymandias, and uh, it reminds... It's essentially, that the poem is about how time will um, wash away everything. Because it's the poem is um, about a traveler that goes that goes to a statue and it reads, "I am Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair." And it's nothing but like the foot of a statue. Essentially, it shows how time is the killer of all. Nothing that you make will stand. Eventually, time will take over, and that's what that's the kind of images I got, you know, because Vegas was like um this amazing place and especially with pyramids uh, it's it's so cool uh vegas is always kind of like uh the 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 capital the capital of sin lust love sex and so many things and it also shows like how people can be overpowered by greed and luxury because especially we see it in the casino here that he's walking in you like i forgot that detail that we see all of those empty whiskey bottles that is also in form of a pyramid as he's walking by because this is the other thing this is a really good sequence but this is the nibbin and not doing another thing of like this is like six seven minutes of just ryan gosling walking walking around and we see all of those tiny little details and he goes into a piano and sees that one of the keys that's in the, there's no sound as he also saw like a lot of bees and this is and this is a highly radiation why there's bees in a beehive and then he notices a dog and then we see decker was like oh you like a piece of cheese don't you boy and then yeah okay it's like treasure island and and decker's like oh he reads <laughs> not much to do around here such is the night that i dream of cheese and, and then they start fighting and i love when they're like still, like looking it out but i love that 
um, Harrison Ford, they also do that thing that was kind of like, it doesn't matter that I'm 70 years old, I can still kick your ass. They do that kind of thing of like giving you a little more Well, power. when they go into... Uh, the projection room? The projection room. Harrison Ford actually did punch Ryan Gosling in the face, but they just went with it. Mm-hmm. And also, I love that thing before the projection room that uh, technically Kate put, I'm uh, sorry, um, Decker pushes Kate and Kate does that Michael Myers thing of leaving the uh, leaving the stain. And you just need to hear like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that, that, that Elvis projection. I'm like, that is so cool though. But like, and also you see a little Marilyn Monroe and I'm like, was this foreshadowing? For the Elvis movie and the another uh, Armas uh, um, Blonde, I think that was the name of, of Mary Monroe, uh, Monroe's movie. But then, we, I love that they're fighting, and I love that Harrison takes like a little break. It's like I can keep going. I was like, "Oh, you want to take a drink?" And I, Kay is like, "I will take that drink though." Like he's also like getting a little tired. I will take that drink. Yeah, and I love that he's just he's just he knows he's there for answers now. And also, this is the thing that I also really like from the movie. Even though the product placement is there on the background, but it's not in your face. Like, you see the little Sony logo when he's walking in to see the Mackenzie Davis. Or when he's talking with Decker. We focus maybe less than a frame of a second into that the bottle is a Johnny Walker blue label. Yeah, it's just um, just labels that exist. Mm-hmm. As much as I love Man of Steel, that was also just like... Uh, unintentionally in your face sometimes mm-hmm. like the smallville fight was IHOP, it was like i hop 7-eleven u-haul sears nokia mm-hmm. it was crazy but uh we see that deckard knew that rachel was pregnant uh never met the kid because he was still getting hung- hunted so he his job was to leave he left her to protect her mm-hmm. Does, isn't that always the excuse mm-hmm. um then he taught other replicants how to tamper with birth records and how to avoid capture. So essentially, he was the one that stole the pages. Yes, and he noticed um, that someone's entered the area, and uh, later on, because a lot of it is just them hanging out, and then um, convinced that K got followed, they go to Deckard's uh, car. It's called a spinner. And uh, but an RPG uh, destroys it and it incapacitates both because it turns out love found him. And then Kay does kick some of their asses a little bit, upgrade style. And then a good movie. <sighs> the worst thing to happen, it's because he kept joy with him. Uh, That's how she was able to do it because she tracked him through joy. And this is when love crosses the line for me. Well, yeah, he has his literal joy with him and his literal joy destroyed because she breaks it and essentially killed her. The last thing she does say is, I love you. And boom, um, then gets taken out by a weeping angel. Um, (laughs) So love destroys joy. And it's also implied that she has the hots for Kay as well. I mean, who wouldn't? He's Ryan Gosling. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what does happen is they both get uh captured and or no deckard gets captured and Kay is left for dead because she wants to take she wants to take deckard to wallace Mm -hmm. 
And then we see some replicants that they meet up with, with Kay and he sees that he's fine. And I was like, uh, we see this woman without an eye that she tells like, uh, I did saw the bird. And I was like, we hit the baby. That's why Sapper let you kill him. Because if a baby was born from one of us, that means that we can be our own masters. More a humans. miracle. A miracle. That's why he said, because you've never seen a miracle. Mm-hmm. More but he had. than humans. If you want to be free, you have to join us. Yeah, because the whole thing is, if replicants can have kids, you can't deny them rights and freedoms, because that makes them alive and real. And the turns out the blackout was them deliberately trying to... It was a revolution. ...erase mm-hmm. as many files. Yeah. So it was on purpose. And it was to try to wipe out how Rachel was have, had kids, including trying to find the child. They wanted that advantage. And that's what Wallace is trying to find. And then... And then the woman says, it was like a, well, dying for the right cause is the most human thing you can do. You let Wallace to Decker. Maybe you must kill Decker. That's the only way to protect her. Her? I saw her getting born with my my own eyes. I dressed her in blue. What about the boy? That's just a piece of the puzzle. And then he talks to Chaos. Do you thought that he was you? All of us, we wish he was we wish we were him. That's why we believe. So he's saying that a lot of the replicants they also only have the memory of the horse. But it's a real memory. That's the thing. But whose memory mm-hmm. is it? Mm-hmm. Because as it turns out, it's the girls. Mm-hmm. Because thinking back on everything that he's discovered, he deduces that it came from Dr. Staline herself. That's why she had such an emotional reaction to it. So through some detective work, she is the offspring of Deckard and Rachel and is their daughter. And the replicants urge Kay, just go back to L.A. Because Wallace will connect these dots, too, and then find out about the resistance movement, which is here um, in Vegas. He may be able to create um, replicants, but he's doing it for profit. And... They're like, we'll even kill Deckard. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and then uh, they, we see the we see the reunion. We see Wallace Decker meeting Wallace, and Wallace is like, I wanted to meet you for so long. You're a wonder to me, Mister Decker. And as he unveils in front of Decker the skull of Rachel, he's like, uh, I need that child to teach them all to fly. God loves Rachel, and he. Open her womb. Every day you think that that perfect moment when you met her. Those shiny lips. How instant was your connection? Did it never occur to you that you were there that day because of, to meet her right then in the perfect moment? All that to make that specimen. That is said if you were designed, love, or decision. And me and my head. Can you please just confirm it already? Like they even Jerry learning that in that dialogue, he's keeping it kind of like that open thing from Decker that we don't know if he's really human or a replicant still. I kind of appreciate it for that. I I appreciate it too, though. I'm kind of fifty fifty on it, though. I yeah, don't because, like the the ambiguity of it. Because sometimes the less you know, the better. Mm-hmm. 
And I'll um, remember when Cave went back to LA, he went in front of the ad, the Joy ad. The, the meme? And the meme, uh, my favorite is when they photoshopped Paddington instead of K. But um, the ad does say something about a Joe. So it's implied that it's also part of her programming. That's where she got that from. So it was she real? It's up to you. But what does happen is he starts the audio recording of the first conversation between Deckard and Rachel. Is essentially being the emperor and is like, join me and together we can create her again. And Big Castle also he says, I was like, uh, tell me and good things will come to you. You think I have nothing to offer you but pain. You love pain like love is real for you. An angel made perfect a game for you. And I'm going to say this. We have had so many crappy movies of doing kind of like that realistic bringing people back or like the aging kind of like makeup or, or CGI. This one looked pretty convincing. This is one of my favorites. So as it turns out, there is archival footage, audio and stills of uh, Rachel played by Sean Young mm-hmm. from the original movie. And they use, they represent both her original character and this clone that walks in. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool because the light Sean Young's likeness from the original movie is digitally superimposed onto another actress who is coached by young on how to recreate her performance from the first mm-hmm. film. And the voice was a sound alike, oh. but Sean young did receive credit nice, and did get paid and all that stuff. So cool. But Deckard is ultimately like, nah, Rachel was real because the real Rachel's eyes were green. So what happens uh wallace has love immediately killed the the clone rachel like five seconds later he doesn't even do it he's just like go ahead that's the how you make a glorified nostalgic cameo just kill it in 10 seconds boom <laughs> i was like damn um but also for me because we have talked about like leia in rogue one or we haven't talked about this like in jeff bridges in tron legacy this looked pretty convincing. This is one of my favorites of like bringing an old actor back in the age. She it looks amazing though for me in my opinion. And I'm glad that they didn't use the original actor as well. I mean, Deckard it makes sense because you know Harrison Ford, thirty years later or whatever, technically thirty years later. In actuality, it was about yeah. Actually, you know what? It's not that far off. Yeah, because I think the movie came out in 2017, so that will be 35 years after the first Blade Runner. Yeah, and the story does take place 30 years, years later. later. Mm-hmm. So that, that actually does uh, add up. But what they're going to do is they're going to take Deckard to one of the off-world colonies, because apparently there's 10 colonies in the whole cosmos or whatever, and they have the means to make him talk even though they don't have one in L.A., because obviously for probably face reasons. And then that's we don't meet Jared Leto for the rest of the movie. No? No, that's that's it. That's it. It was implying that it was a sequel setup, but... I think the sequel setup is more kind of like a... like another replicant revolution, if we ever get to see a sequel, technically. Yeah, it's... 
it's that tricky thing of this still works as its own story. Mm-hmm. That's a standalone. But it had possibility for more. It doesn't directly set up a sequel, though. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. No, it is an op- It is a beginning and end. It has full circle moments. Everything. It's its own story. And what this is the water car fight. This is an awesome fight, and. Roger Deakins has something about silhouette fighting because mm-hmm. between this and Skyfall, he seems to be the only cinematographer that can make people fight. And technically, it, it's actually lit really well, mm-hmm. despite it being very dark and it's raining very, very uh, hard. Mm-hmm. And this spinner's attached to it, it's on the shoreline, and they they have. Deckard handcuffed in one of the seats and everything, but what does happen is Kay uh, comes back and fires some gunshots, and he gets into a fight with Love, but she ends up punching and stabbing him a couple of times, mm-hmm. leaves him for dead, like kisses him on the mouth for some reason, but then she goes into the vehicle. Because she says I'm the best one, because it's the other thing that they put out that Love wants to be the best replicant ever. She wants to be the very best, like no one ever was. Mm-hmm. And the best. To catch to, to catch Deckard is her real test to train replicants is her cause for for Wallace. You get you get it, but uh, she uh, the spinner is being dragged into the sea by the by the tide. You know the tidal waves are coming in and it's uh, bringing the the spinner down with it. So the water is uh, rising and Deckard is just. He can't get out because he's handcuffed and everything. So they're slowly drowning. And Kay also ended up killing the driver. So there's nothing you can do there. And then uh, Kay comes back to the car. And I like this kind of like beautiful tension, like how they started to choke each other between Love and Kay. Yeah, first she has the upper hand and starts, uh, keeps him down under the water. But then he manages to uh bring her down and he essentially wins he just leaves her down there and you know she drowns but as it's happening um there's the light above Kay's head that kind of looks like a halo and it seems murky for like the first two times we see it and then the third time just as she's about to die it becomes clear implying that Kay was the best one and so, yeah, thankfully, justice for joy has happened. It's it's the only film where I actually root for uh, this woman to get beaten and killed because, I mean, she gets violently drowned as well. Then we see that Decker was like, you should have let me drown there. And then Kay was like, now you're free to meet your daughter now. He does the one last thing because as it turns out, he's mortally wounded. And they'll think that Deckard went down with the ship as well. He's free. And then as he, we see that there's snowing outside of where Dr. Stolen is. And then he's like, a, and Deckard's like, who am I to you? And he just says, go and meet your daughter. And Kay is like, are you going to be okay? As we see that Kay is on the stairs and he starts leaning towards the stairs. We see that he's still like dropping a lot of blood as we see the snow falling. It's so cool when and he just looks down at his hand and everything and he's like I'm having an emotional reaction to this. Uh 
at the real snow that's falling down as well. And he seems to be at peace. You know, he knows he's going to die, but he reunited, he united a father and daughter and everything. And he, it's just a gorgeous shot in the snow. And then we get, and we see, and we see Anne, like a lot of like snow falling as we see Harrison Ford walking through the glass and he just takes his hand and Anne says, beautiful, isn't it? And this is the thing that I wonder, was Anne projecting the snow outside? We don't know. It might be the case. And that's the thing that I was wondering about the movie. <laughs> but it's a good metaphorical and literal thing to think about. Mm-hmm. And that's how the movie ends. So yeah, yeah. If you were able to follow along with any of that, mm-hmm. bravo. This movie is complicated. It's a good complicated. It's like Inception complicated, where you got to be paying attention all the time. But if you are, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like this movie a lot. I liked it when it came out. Now on a rewatch and seeing Arrival, I'm kind of conflicted though because Arrival is so damn good, also as well. Like, for me to decide which one is my favorite, then you know between Arrival of Blade Runner. Oh, it's so hard, though. But Oh, I stand corrected about certain things. This did get nominated for Oscars, and it did win Best Cinematography and Best Visual Effects. So Roger Deakins did win an Oscar for this. And I believe this was his first Oscar win. And, like, what was it, like 20 nominations or something? I believe so. He he's been nominated a lot, but this was his first Oscar win. So when I said, "Oh, it, sh- it wasn't nominated," I rescind that. I stand corrected. But this movie, I think, I mean, it's such a great sequel because it builds upon the themes, um, develops certain characters, introduces new ones, but they all feel organic to the world. It feels lived in. It feels earned, and I mean, undeniably, it's going to leave an impact on the franchise if they continue to do more. And it's the same thing with Tron Legacy. It's a sequel that came out like 30 years after the original, manages to take the good stuff and just make it better and more accessible, really, because Blade Runner, the original, felt more like a 2001 just drag sometimes a lot of people love it and i can't deny that soundtrack is amazing but here it feels like you're getting more done and like it's there's more plot in this movie compared to the it also just looks like aesthetically better with like more Mm -hmm. with a lot of blues and a lot of oranges a lot of colors there's a lot of bang for your buck. It's it's definitely one of those things where you just look at it and you're like, wow. Yeah, I, I, I love this movie so much. Honestly, my only nitpick would be kind of like a little but the pacing though, but sometimes you can just forget about it. Like you said, this is a much, it's a little, it's better than the original. The director is amazing. The characters and the the questions about the movie. And also sometimes... It's really refreshing because we live in an era that everything has to be answered in our faces. I, I love when there's sometimes there's some ways to be like, you know what? I'm going to leave that for your interpretation. Like, I'm pretty sure Harrison Ford maybe will be with us for maybe like another 10, 15 years, but 
hey, Warner Bros., you want to do a sequel, you should get that on that quick, though. But if we never get a sequel, this is fine also as well, though, because like you said, this is feels like worse as a standalone movie as well. So maybe they do kind of like an anime series or comic. Maybe they can continue the story. But if they do, if they not do it, this is a really good movie, though. I will get this movie a 9.5. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Hey, of all the characters that Harrison Ford could play again, mm-hmm. there's probably like one other character he could play, which would be Jack Ryan. But mm, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. He's basically just going on a, I guess, fair. This is the part of his career where he can just go back to the roles that made him famous if he wants to. He's a, he he did his sort of farewell tour. Mm-hmm. Can we see an Air Force One legacy sequel? Get off my plane again. <laughs> if only, if only. <laughs> but it's cool to see that Harrison Ford is still, you know, just doing really well. He's not afraid to come back. Took a lot of convincing for Star Wars, but he did manage to do it. And a lot of convincing, catching. <laughs> Well, not only that, but also I feel like on some level he I mean he owed his success and his entire career to that franchise. But the one that he enjoys the most is the one that he's gonna um play one more time coming in in at the end of June. Doing the Vin Diesel one last time. One last one. time. But unlike Vin Diesel, he's actually gonna be doing it one last time. Why the final one. But anyway, um I got nothing bad to say about this movie this is no for me this is a perfect movie and so you're saying that this is a 10 for you this is an absolute 10 Ooh, i love it every time i see it i discover a lot of new stuff the dialogue is really clever because it has a lot of small details a lot of stuff it's again it's like inception where if you pay attention the entire time you get a very well made well written visually pleasing movie and that's also that's what i'm also saying about inception as much as i as much as it's easy to make fun of christopher nolan about a lot of stuff you cannot deny he's made some really good movies for me the prestige and inception are his best films and interstellar for me interstellar is pretty good i don't think it's as good as those movies but it's not as bad as people think it is unlike tenet which is just a mess. And now uh, I'm I'm still a defender. I like the Dark Knight Rises. There's a lot of people that hate it. Everybody says the Dark Knight, which yeah, that's that goes without saying. That's also a perfect sequel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what a way to end Denis Villeneuve. Thank you guys for voting for this. Um, hopefully, it was a refreshing. It was a refreshing month, though. Just nice to watch a lot of really good movies. And you kind of need that. Yeah, it's a bit pretentious, but it's it's fun. We need, we need a pretentious. We need or like quote-unquote pretentious. But mm-hmm. I love Denis Villeneuve movies. To me, yeah. he you can see his passion, which is a rare thing nowadays. And this is the other thing that you and I, we always talk about, like, there's some actors that they don't feel like, uh, like actors, actors, kind of like, like Robin Williams or Jack Nicholson or Meryl Streep, but like talking about directors of this generation, they never know feels like he's gonna be like maybe like the next Scorsese or like. Well, or he like 
he brings out the best in the actors that he works with. Yes. He makes them have a presence and makes them have like, a, you know, just really commands. And make the pretty boy that is Timothy Chalamet to act better compared to uh, other... I mean, Tim- Tim- for me, Timothy Chalamet is a great actor. If he keeps doing the projects that he's doing, he yeah. could be the next Leonardo DiCaprio. If he picks yeah, his be. projects correctly and i think he's been doing it he's been doing a lot of a lot of good acting or like a christian bale i think that's another one where like Mm -hmm. you can tell like they're just so good at their job and Mm -hmm. you're sucked in i think christian bale is one of those last actors that does it timothy chalamet um he's still got some work to do but he's he's on his way he's on his way he's um there's a there's a couple of actors and actresses that are like that it's cool that we're getting more people of color that are getting that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, long story short, uh, we're going from this to, well, Raul's birthday is coming up. Yes. And this is something that he has been begging and begging and begging and asking. From the inception of this show. From the very beginning, mm-hmm. the inception of our friendship. Yes, that too. We're going to cover certain episodes of Pretty Little Liars. Yes! <laughs> yes! I am doing this for him. I want to make that very clear. Charles Biscuits. I know that absolutely nobody, aside from maybe Pretty Little Liars fans, are going to watch it. Mm-hmm. But this is what you do for friendship. Mm-hmm. Until then, where can the good people find you, buddy? You can find me as always at RobertRDC on Twitter, Instagram, and on Letterboxd at RobertRDC. Please follow the podcast on SYNS Pod on Twitter, and please give us a nice review on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Yes, you can follow me on Letterboxd and Twitter at MasterofPuns196. Every word starts with a capital letter. You can also follow me on Instagram at Lightning. Nothing is capitalized. And once again, you can follow our main show Twitter at Pod as well as give us a five-star and just write a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate anybody that listens, all six of you. And you can also listen to us on Google, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Spotify for uh, podcasts. Podcast. It's so weird mm-hmm. saying that. I just want to call it Anchor. It's <laughs> It's cleaner. And... As always. See you next summer. Dun, 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 dun.